0: Extus for Podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So for all of your comics, movies, music, games, and more, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. Today in X-Men, we talk about everything but the X-Men. I mean, we got some Fantastic Four, we've got some Avengers, and a lot of space aliens and vegetarians. Alright, I guess that makes this This Is X. I'm Nico. I'm Kyle. I'm Maddie.
1: And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survived this experience, unlike Empath, who's a little shit.
0: <laughs> a little shit and a little shot. Like, I love Grey Crow, but I have never loved Grey Crow as much as when he shot Empath. I warned him. You you did warn him. I feel like you could do a really great Greco cosplay. Ah, oh, I gotta grow the hair back. It would look really, it would look, and you could do like a really hot empath Jonah. Oh, I would look great in that suit. Oh yeah, and Kyle and I, we can stand on the side and be like, nanny and orphan maker. Who's who? Uh, Nico's you can have nanny. your pick. I mean, really, do you want to be Peter? You can be Peter. I guess I'll be Peter. Well, it's a lose-lose situation. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> It's kind of interesting that we're, like, a little bit shitting on the cast of Hellions because the cast of Hellions is super shit-onable. But Hellions itself was a really strong read. Now, I wish I'd had the same feelings about X-Men Fantastic Four, which had a killer cast, and I felt like was really light on plot. All said and done, across four issues, you know, I have the background on Kitty and Doom together because of X-Men Fantastic Four and the Prometheus exchange in Excalibur, so I know a lot of this stuff, but 4 ninety nine issues, and, you know, there was that director's cut for the first one, So that was like 125 pages. I just, I feel like 200 pages of this book by a killer creative team, Chip Zardsky, Terry and Rachel Dodson, Laura Martin, you know, I love this creative team. I love these characters, but it just kind of landed like a big, like there was like a doom mask clunk for me.
1: Now, I've been told multiple times throughout the longevity of this podcast that Kitty constantly has to grow up. That's a constant storyline that they keep giving Kitty. And how many times can you keep telling a character, okay, this time they're finally grown up. No, this time. This feels like that exact same story, but instead of Kitty, it's kind of now Franklin. I don't really see the uniqueness in this story. It feels really weird. It felt like contrived i i was so bored dare i say with what was going on there was nothing that i was like oh wow interesting nothing really caught my eye as a really big standout moment except for maybe the ending but that's about it
0: kyle i know you're captain kate i wonder how do you feel about this being kind of like her last lasting mark considering right now she's dead in marauders she is the marauder del muerte
2: for me, I feel like Kate was barely existent in this and I don't know this this whole series just got me down. I was under the impression that this was going to be a, like a big change for Franklin and then Come around to this, and it's like, haha, nope, we lied. Everything's saying the same. And I'm frustrated.
3: You know, that's a point that I brought up in the green room before, which was that I feel like Empire Fantastic Four number zero did a pretty succinct enough job of summing up the events of X Men Fantastic Four, which is, hey, Franklin, how are your powers? Not great? Okay, that's fine. You know, I think the only other thing to come out of this issue for me was the Charles and Eric moment at the end with Reed when they removed the memory or part of the memory of the creation of the uh, mutant gene cloaking codex. I thought that was a really great nod back to some of the work on Hickman's X-Men and the strong characters that he's creating out of Charles and Eric in terms of their new authoritarian stance.
0: So, I love everything you're saying, but I kind of thought I saw this better with Forge and his buddy in a recent issue.
3: Oh my god, that was an issue. Yeah, we just (laughs) saw Forge
0: have to do the same thing with a friend who had developed mutant dampening tech and hadn't meant to and then had to have that removed from their mind and this is sort of not a necessary story for me I love Kate and I love Franklin and that whole sequence at the end where Franklin is like learning from the X-Men and I I feel like we could have gotten there without having to vilify the Fantastic Four for the sake of the X-Men and there were things I didn't care for I thought the whole those aren't Sentinels they're Latverian Killbox and they just kill everybody. Like, I thought that was kind of hammy and this wasn't a bad book and none of these creators are bad creators. But this book feels very much like a moment in time that passed anachronistically, surfacing in this very progressive era where the storytelling is a very different modus. It's not in this position where we're telling these linear punch-em-ups right now. We're telling stories about ideological conflict. The ideological conflict that pushed zardsky and Dodson to write this book was best summarized in the one page of Hoxpox Pox that encouraged them to write it. It's not that I think this book deserves damnation. It's that I think, possibly, it either needed to be a bit more progressive in its format or an editorial decision should have been made to maybe cut it down to an annual.
3: You know, and there are definitely big annual vibes here, if for no other reason than none of what we're seeing seems to be canonical at the moment. It, it feels like this was a little bit tone deaf given the number of line-wide crossovers we're stumbling into now and the way that these crossovers intersect with one another i just personally feel like and it's no no disrespect to the dodson's or Chip Zdarsky, but i just don't think that this year at this time there was room for this book
1: I'm not sure if it's they have to get certain permissions to write certain storylines or use characters certain ways. In fact, it is. But it seems to me what you're saying, Maddie, would it have been better if this story took a backseat to something else where these characters weren't already being utilized in more interesting stories? Because the X-Men and the Fantastic Four are going to be part of Empire and doing different things. It feels like this was just a weird story that honestly could have been surmised in the last book only with a flashback to saying, oh, we went to Doom Island in Latveria and we destroyed all his robot stuff. Yay! And and then he just splits his time between Krakoa and the uh, uh, Reed household.
3: To be honest with you, if, if in the background of the Empire events we just see Valeria kind of zoom-calling with Uncle Doom, it, it would have been to the same effect for me. I think that's another moment that stood out to me from the final issue. But aside from that, the the story itself wasn't that strong. So we got good Valeria Doom moments for anybody who stands that parental relationship. And as i would mentioned before, we got a lot of good callbacks to the very strong Charles and Eric of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men number four. And Kyle,
0: I don't feel like when we met, you were a big Fantastic Four guy, but you have been reading like a ton of Fantastic Four lately. And whether it was Empire Fantastic Four Zero, or reading the Fantastic Four crossover, reading X-Men Fantastic Four. Right now, over on HTML, we're covering the Fantastic Fantastic Four in all of its visual media, whether it's the classic cartoons, the trashed movies, or the somewhat celebrated two film pack. And we covered a lot of Franklin and Galactus back in HISTMU, uh, History of the Marvel Universe by Mark Wade, which led to Mark Wade getting a Fantastic Four miniseries with Art Adams. And they promised that's going to change Galactus forever. They promised this was going to change Franklin forever. They promised that Dan Slott's October kickoff for his new Fantastic Fantastic Four run, alongside R.B. Silva, who is leaving the X-Men to join the Fantastic Four, is going to change the Fantastic Four forever. Kyle, you have come into the Fantastic Four rebooting five times in a year. Do you have any sense of who you've read as a unit or a team? Not really. I honestly don't feel
2: like I've read enough, and things keep changing so quickly. This is- this is- Similar to what I first experienced when I started getting into comics where things were just so at a weird place where things kept changing and I couldn't really connect with anything.
0: And this kind of reminds me of how we all felt about Fallen Angels early on when we were like, where the fuck can this possibly go? Where is Cable and Laura's adventure in terms of Laura going into the time paradox, in terms of Cable getting his solo book, in terms of X-Men number 2? Where does Fallen Angels go? And I feel like that's how I felt about a lot of x-men fantastic four where in god's name can this go but we do now know the fallout where fallen angels ultimately went and that appears to be the pages of hellions In our earlier coverage of Hellions, I was pretty rough on the first issue. I found it to have some kind of clunky moments, and I stick by that review. I went back and I took another look at Zeb Wells and Steven Segovia's first Hellions issue, and then I took a look at the second issue, and I have to say the improvement from issue one to two is a hundredfold. I would not have recognized this to be issue two of the same issue one.
2: This definitely feels like we're actually getting story here compared to the first issues just, hi, here's your team, that's it. So I enjoyed that. And I mean, there, there are a number of things that I didn't enjoy about this particular issue, but we'll get there in a bit, I think.
0: I know we've already taken some shots at Nanny and Orphan Maker. Jonah, as you were reading this issue, you just kept going to me, but
1: what is Nanny? Nanny. I don't know her, Uh, she was comical, I will give her that, but I literally have no idea what the heck Nanny is. It's like Humpty Dumpty, but Humpty Dumpty wanted their own orphanage where they just kept babies, but they weren't actually babies. And every time they would have a dinner, they would go, more cream comb, Cousin Barbara? Nanny and Orphan Maker were created in
0: August of 1988 and... I actually want to bring that up for a moment. When you say August of 1988, you're talking about a period of the late 80s where child abductions and the war on drugs and say no to strangers, and we're looking at an era that was you need to be careful or somebody with all that hair metal is going to convince you to become a street tagger and do the dope. And as fucking silly as Nanny and Orphan Maker are to us now, I'm gonna kind of make a point. I think there's a lot of things to be said about how Slenderman Is kind of silly. He's like a really well dressed guy who just happens to have giganticism. Why are you being mean to this very tall albino? He's skinny and he likes suits and his face is kind of horrible. I don't think that's his fault, but I think we see him as terrifying. Now, if you were to go like to 1940s Chicago, I don't think the Slender Man's that scary. I think he looks like everybody, right? So I think Nanny and Orphan Maker, well, yeah, I'm sure they were always silly. They are not Wheezy's best creation. They are not the thing that Claremont uses the best from that era, but I think they're meant to represent an era of time where this idea of you know i can just picture robert stack being like 1987 a young woman gets in her car when a small woman named nanny an egg-shaped robot comes up to her and steals her baby i'm robert stack and this is unsolved mysteries like i could see that's how it goes but in this day and age nanny and orphan Maker sort of play out like a pachinko machine trying to steal a puppy it just comes out kind of weird Wow.
2: <laughs> I think I understand what they're trying to do with them, but I feel like they're the more pointless, useless members of this team and they could have they could have used some other characters in those slots, I think.
0: I think they just wanted somebody who had like genetic modification abilities, but yo, Dark Beast. Dark Beast loves making genetic soup out of people.
2: Dark Beast is dead. <laughs>
0: I'm not sure that in this day and age that, that matters a whole lot. I have read a lot of issues with Uncle Ben, thank you. Uh yeah, that's true. I Maybe they wanted somebody who has a sinister-esque vibe, you know, runs an orphanage, wants to steal children, experiment on mutants. There are some very sinister vibes to Nanny and Orphan Maker shtick, and, okay, this is my actual only real negative about the characterization in this issue. I don't care for how let's say Deadpool everybody is. I feel like everybody has a biting one-liner for every line in this book. And that's maybe not my favorite thing. I don't love Sinister saying, calm your poopy pants. Like, there were just some things that were these real kind of clunk moments for me. I thought the action was exciting, but Sinister himself feels a little bit off. I love Quannon. I love Grey Crow. I maybe wonder if Wild Child is bordering on problematic. I'm not sure. I don't really have a sense of what's going on there yet. You know, the last thing we need is another person with mental illness hiding their pills so that they can violently attack someone. That's not really where we need a story to go right now. So, I don't know. I think the strength of this book lies in its cast, and the weird things you can do with them. Maddie, was this your first experience with, like, a bunch of these people?
3: Um, I would say safely this was my first experience with Ray Crow, and with Nanny and Orphan Maker. Otherwise, the ensemble seems pretty familiar to me. I I will agree with Kyle that I do think Nanny and Orphan Maker are the two clunkiest members of the ensemble, but I still am waiting for, I'm waiting for this first fight to flesh out. I'm waiting to see what the fallout of Wildchild and Kwanin's, uh battle for dominance is going to be. I'm waiting to see how we are going to see the team pull themselves out of the clutches of Madeline Pryor Goblin Force. But otherwise, you know, I thought I would agree with Nico. I thought the pacing of this issue compared to issue number one was you know, tenfold better, but that's said I still was maybe hoping for a little bit more resolve for what we got
0: now let's talk about the awkward blonde dickhead in the room Alex there have been so many pot shots taken at Alex in this book and you know I missed a bunch of Alex being evil it just happens to not have synced up with what I've caught up on yet Jonah you haven't really read much Alex in the present and now here you are with Alex being like oh I think I did a brain bad again
1: how does this Alex read to you This Alex reads to me like a horny teenager, not knowing what to do and thinking with his dick because he can't get it wet right now. We saw in the first X Men issue of the Hoxpox Dawn of X era that Alex and Polaris aren't together. I believe they haven't been together for quite some time now. You know, havoc's kind of lonely, and apparently he fucked Madeline before, so he's willing to do it again.
0: Let's touch on that for a minute. Those of you who have not read the breathtaking moment that is Inferno. Inferno is this incredible moment born out of so many arcs boiling in the X-Men. Kyle, I believe Inferno is one of your favorites as well. It is. I love Inferno, even though it keeps going on and
2: on and on and on. Yeah, it
0: never ends, and it crosses (laughs) over into every title in the entire Marvel Universe. Like, everyone gets in on Inferno. Spider-Man, Captain America, The Avengers. Everyone gets in on Inferno. But essentially, Inferno goes like this. Madeline Pryor makes deal with Demon, becomes evil sorceress, decides to unleash hell on New York... Ileana had done some not-so-good stuff herself. Anyway, whole world falling apart, and Alex decides this is a great time to turn on the X-Men and start fucking his brother's wife. I mean, that happened before she turned, didn't it? They had been very flirty, but it's that moment in Inferno where she's, like, very clearly, like, super evil, and he's like... Um, and she's like, and you will be my king. And he's like, all right, I guess. Right, right you're right, you're right. Well, I mean, we're
2: all right. because Her influence kind of corrupted everybody. So it's not this is that true. surprising.
0: And, you know, Alex is kind of particularly corruptible. The history of Alex is littered with possessions, mind wipes, temporary times where he's evil, occasionally being swapped with alternate evil versions of himself from other realities, traveling to space, to try and stop his galactically evil brother. Havoc does not have it easy, and it really can't help that a guy who couldn't keep it working with Polaris had his polarity flipped about eight years ago and was turned evil in the Axis, and hasn't quite flipped back yet. So many of these characters are so damaged. The Marauders were the original can't stop being recloned the way the X-Men are now, so I'm very eager to see where that dynamic is gonna come together. Like, I- ship Grey Crow and Quanon together already. I don't know if everybody sees the seeds of that, but I think there's some strong setup for how they are both like the stoic leaders. I don't know if it's going to be romantic or not, but those two characters are going to need to have their moment together.
2: I'd be interested in seeing that, um, but I'm not sure if... Quanon is ready to have some kind of connection like that. We haven't really seen any kind of growth in
0: that direction so far. Especially because they focused so much on her connection to Psylocke. Which brings me to another question. Are most of the characters in Hellions just stand-ins for someone more significant? Alex is a stand-in for Scott. Quanon is a stand-in for Betsy. Grey Crow is a stand-in for Warpath. And so on. Is the cast of Hellions essentially a poor man's something else with wide Child standing in for Wolverine or Sabretooth, the like, in an effort to have like a badass team that you can sacrifice. If Empath is gonna be the one to do the bad things and have the gun put in his head, it's not Emma Frost.
1: We already saw how well that worked out last time someone tried to shoot Emma.
0: Right? You know, she just was like, put me back together, Gene. I'm a puzzle.
1: Jean said, Emma, I don't like you and I know you're fucking my husband, but I will put you back together because I have a moral duty to do so.
0: And then in my heart, they made out.
1: And in Emma's head and Gene's head, they made out.
0: Oh my God, that would be so hot. Like all of Emma's diamond just like lit with fire from them making out.
1: Anyway, you bring up an interesting point because this is kind of Marvel's rejects kind of i mean these are characters that let's be honest listeners out there how many of you are huge fans of that really love them besides maybe psylocke and havoc trash can mutants these are mutants that I have never heard of until very recently. A couple of them.
0: The trash can mutants!
1: <laughs> so, it's... I was originally on board with this idea of giving characters who might not have a place in most storytellings because of prior characterization to give them, you know, a breath of fresh air and to do something interesting with them, but then they just kill them off in the second issue, so... And today is garbage day! So maybe they are just meant to be a sacrifice to now let more zombies into the x-men
3: the title slash here has a quote from nightcrawler that i thought was really poignant in today's day and age which is those whose violence you do not understand have often seen horrors you cannot imagine
0: oh my god that's about madeline i want to know how madeline got here i don't think madeline was krakoa back we don't know how she's back i wonder what madeline had to do to come back did she crawl her way back through hell she said she's been around for a couple of years, so. And we'd seen her in the Sisterhood arc by Matt Fraction around Uncanny five hundred to five twelve, which also saw pulling Psylocke back into the folds of the X Men after a period of time over a new Excalibur and Exiles. That said, that was when she was still Betsy Quanin Hybrid single unit and before they did the split back apart. So I wonder if we're gonna hear anything about Quanin's relationship with Madeline because they did technically serve on the Sisterhood together and. they there's a lot of material there to be mined. And speaking of serving together, the war that is Empire? I keep being really confused. Okay, somebody help me out here. So, Slot and Ewing are crafting this bangerang book, Empire. And if I'm not mistaken, the plot is essentially Quinoa, this guy who used to hang out with the X-Men, is like, I'm a delicious side dish, and I've decided I'm going to take center stage. I'm the protein now. And the Avengers and the X-Men and the Fantastic Four, everybody are kind of like, oh. And he's like, no, for real though, Kotati, attacky! And Teddy is like, Kree scroll, Magic Sword, stoppy, stoppy. And the Avengers are like, but Kotati, man, why have you turned on us? And he's like, because you guys didn't love me and my daddy enough? And so the Avengers are like let's fight and the fantastic four are like but there's spores in ben and everybody's like this isn't good and then teddy's like sword sword and i'm like what the fuck is happening i think the plot of the book is essentially the kotati are attacking earth and teddy is leading the korean scroll to help the avengers stop the kotati but teddy did not realize that this would take like an annihilation level attack and seems to now be unhappy that the korean scroll had like genocide in mind am i caught up on this very you-could-get-it-off-the-back-of-a-blurb. Sounds about right. It's, uh... Teddy's
2: kind of... Naive about what's going on. And... Yeah. So, we have the Kree and the Skrull, Skrull, they don't care what happens to
0: Earth at all as long as the Kotati die. Well, and I think you actually have a little bit more background on this story than anybody else, right, Kyle? I think you've got uh, some information from Emperor Hulkling over in one of the Empire tie-ins. Yeah, yeah. Was there anything from that that you feel helped people to maybe understand what Hulkling was going through a little bit better? Because right now he just seems like a pawn to me.
2: He still seems like a pawn. He is making some decisions on his own and and he's trying to make things work with with Billy at the same time, but when he realizes that the Kree and the Skrull won't accept Billy as his consort, I guess, um, <laughs> he kind of goes behind them. And at the same time, he has the Kree and the Skrull going behind him. At the si- yeah, so it's there's a lot of everybody going behind everybody
3: else. Gay soaps in space. Gay soaps in space, yes. You know, speaking of space, I just wanted to ask, did did this issue feel a little bit to anybody else? Just like the the magical weapon extravaganza, the sword of space bringing Ben back from the grips of the Kotati, the Tanalth's hammer being tuned to work as a, quote, quote, crude defibrillator. It felt a little bit like we don't have a vehicle for our plot, so here are weapons.
1: I have to agree with Maddie that this this issue, the second issue, basically undid everything of the first issue with a magical swipe of a sword. Really, can we, this magical sword of space that can determine friend or foe? I really, I game show. Yeah, that's a great game show. Not for a weapon in a book. Why?
0: Oh, and the problem is everything running around Marvel right now is a plant-based bad guy and a magical sword. I feel like there has to definitely be something going on that everybody's got a plant bad guy and everybody's got a magical sword weapon. It's starting to feel like a lot, but I also wasn't sure how I felt about the use of Carol as a weapon in this story. I love Carol, and I think she's amazing, but it feels like she came in specifically to be a unit of power. She doesn't seem to have a story element here, and I feel like Carol, of all people, should have a lot more emotional ramifications as a result of a Kree and Skrull conflict, and it just felt very surface, like... I don't feel like I got a lot of deep personal time with anybody in Empire when that really should be the thing driving it, the emotional connection, because like we've said, the story is kind of rote. The story is space war. It's the characterization that's gonna matter. And I think that might be why I liked Empire X-Men so much more than I liked Empire. I thought Empire X-Men had time to focus on the characters, even if I did not care for some of the characters or some of the characterization. You know, and I finally got to see multiple man,
3: which is good. Jamie! Jamie! Coming off our conversation at the end of the last episode of who you would like to see enter the fray here, I thought it was a little all over the place in a good way, but once again, what are we doing with the way the state being set? How do we plan to utilize our best players? And we see, we see the old lady plant cult come back into, uh, in, into picture here. So did, did this, did this answer any questions for anybody? Or- so
2: for me it felt a little outside of time if you look at the original release schedule empire x-men number one was supposed to be released in phase two of of empire and this this got moved up so it seems like the events of this are happening kind of in the future of where everything else is in empire
0: I don't disagree. There's a lot to be said for how Empires had to be kind of like smooshed around. And it feels very much like whether it's Empire or Empire X-Men, every single week we will be covering at least one of those two titles. Right. Going in, as I started
2: reading this book, it cold opened with Wanda and immediately I was like, oh, are they going to give her a redemption arc? Nope nope no they she, made her do something infinitely ma- worse yep even worse so now we have a even worse even worse so now we have a bunch of mutant zombies running around and it feels like a
3: a uh, october event <laughs> You know, I I feel like there's something to be said about a character who continues to make unconscionably bad decisions. I think there's no joy in reading a character continue to make such irreversibly bad choices because then you can't, in any good consciousness, root for this character. I would love nothing more than to see Wanda redeemed. But by resurrecting 16 million mutant zombies, that's probably not the right way to do it. And I feel like it's a little bit ignorant to the character of Wanda to assume that she had no foresight that this would be a potential outcome.
0: I think I want to touch on something for a moment because it's of note that the people that most frequently shape Wanda's narrative are men. And there's a lot of discussion that, specific writers that have worked with Wanda don't always know how to sh- handle a strong female character. And I wonder if this moment was born of the nightmares that have occurred to Wanda before this, whether it's House of M, Disassembled, her time in Latveria, the Children's Crusade, her involvement in AVX. And now all of a sudden, this entire species that she's a part of, sometimes, uh, that she is so intrinsically connected to, can't die. After everything she did, Everyone's still around can't die. Except huh. Except Kate. <laughs> except Kate. So, I wonder if this was some sort of PTSD. I wonder if this was some sort of, well, once they're back, they can just get egged back then. And they'll just be back now. I wonder if, in her extreme distress, Wanda thought this was the best idea. Because Wanda plays on a field we don't even think about. When Polaris does something questionable, it's like, you know, misogynistic. And it, to make a silverware helmet, because all women are crazy about their wedding. It, when Scott Summers does something, Something bad, he forms a kill squad and executes some villains. When Wanda Maximoff does something bad, she makes a deal with Satan. She creates a new reality. She eliminates millions of mutants. She helps blast the Phoenix Force off the face of the earth. When Wanda does something, it's on a level we can hardly imagine. So yes, was what she did dumb? Oh, absolutely. But this is the playing field Wanda operates on. Wanda doesn't go and ask her friend Hawkeye for advice. She asks Stephen Strange I'm not happy with what she did but I think this is a statement of her power not a statement about her weakness.
1: And we know in the events of Strange Academy that Wanda is currently employed by Stephen to teach some of his students about magic. <laughs>
0: Yeah, where does that fit? I'm so confused. You know,
1: you also brought up a really great point that Ileana was, you know, being taught, even though they all on Krakoa call Wanda the pretender. Must make that teacher room. Really awkward at times.
0: Absolutely. That's got to be really uncomfortable. And Dead Girl and Wanda actually did combat one time in an arc called Ecstatics versus the Avengers in which we discovered that Dupe is worthy to wield
3: the hammer <laughs> and I will never let it go. So my, 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 ta- my takeaway is that Tony can be felled by blades of grass. Oh yeah. When Tony and Mr.
0: Sensitive take off their armors and start fighting with blades of grass because they're both so sensitive. <laughs> what?
3: This was one of the first Marvel books you gave me that was non-X-Men, like a non-X title. And I remember thinking to myself, what the fuck is happening?
0: It's the greatest book ever.
3: I personally think that that has to be the
0: most uncomfortable break room. Yeah, absolutely.
1: It was really weird to see Wanda want to repent in this kind of way. I don't know exactly how to feel about it. I feel like she should just own and be like, what? I did do it. I'll do it again. Please don't do it again. But I would do it again. Like uh, I, I guess maybe because I just want something different instead of someone being so remorseful if they go on this weird quest to create a staff and then resurrect 16 million mutants into zombies you know a great great mention of
3: the staff though i want to see more of this staff i want to know how the staff came into being i think the one page four panel spread of the creation of the staff didn't quite do enough for me i would have read an entire issue of wanda traversing the earth for the magical totems to put together this staff just to have the ending be the resurrection of the mutants
1: and she can partner with elsa bloodstone who can tell her her where everything is so i can have elsa bloodstone in another comic let's get elsa everywhere
0: i think she's coming back
2: soon to be honest i saw a preview earlier this week
1: my prayers have been answered
0: (laughs) and you know we just talked about the space sword and we've been talking so much about the sword bearers of Araco, and they had to use the hammer to help defibrillate carol and we're in this era of mystical weapons tying into the multiverse and wanda's about to get a tv show and she's about to be the co-star of a major motion picture that is supposedly going to bring in the multiverse into the marvel cinematic universe positioning wanda this way for this moment is really significant and as much as i would love to talk about wanda the entire time there were supposedly other people in this book i'm not positive but
1: i've been told there might have been um you might have seen iliana and one of the most- gorgeous outfits i've ever seen oh my God. somebody somebody please those sunglasses man send me how to make those sunglasses i will pay you money to make them or show me how to and i will do it myself i need them
0: the x twitter is a buzz a buzz over these sunglasses as they should be
1: they're soul sword sunglasses
0: they're so cool
1: i rem- monet and angel are an interesting pair Personally, I don't know Monet very well. But I do think that they can play off of one another pretty decently. So I imagine that it's an interesting combination to have them together. But I feel like they didn't get a chance to. What this issue is supposed to be about the X-Corporation and what that means kind of turned into the Xavier Magneto show. I feel like a little too much was focused on that as opposed to the split narrative of Wanda resurrecting mutants on Genosha. But... The X-Corp aren't really doing much. So,
0: I'm really glad you brought up the people you brought up. Monet, Warren, Ileana, Eric, and Charles, in my opinion, make up some of the most critically discussed X-Men there are. And this is the unlikable kids club in every way. And Hickman and Teeny don't steer away from engendering some negative feelings about these characters. Because if you love who they are, or you accept who they are, you accept their flaws and their faults. Monet is aggressive. You know, I think back to that time where... Madonna answered her phone in the front row during either Hamilton or Spring Awakening, whatever show Jonathan Groff was in at the time. And he called her a bitch in the media afterward. And I brought that up to a friend of mine that I really didn't care for that. And my friend said, honey, I've been a Madonna fan since before you were born. And I promise you, she's not offended by Jonathan Groff calling her a bitch for answering her cell phone in the front row of a concert. Now, that bothered me until a couple of months ago when Madonna launched her Madame X tour and made you lockbox your cell phone. You actually had to get a free locker and lock your phone up. You could not have your phone at her show. And you know what? Yeah, I bet to Madonna, if you wanted the phone to be away... your fucking show get a lockbox and if you call her a bitch for being on her phone okay and you know what i kind of get it that moment for me is monet and xavier monet is jonathan groff and xavier is madonna in the front row and i I know that was a lot (laughs) it was like really wild it it was perfect but there is something about the lovable unlikability and the significance and status of these people jonathan groff is the face of young male hollywood broadway caliber crossover xavier as the face that defined what it is of, even if it isn't always likable and hasn't exactly turned out any hits in the last couple of years. I am looking at you, Hard Candy. So this was the most personality Warren has had since somebody plucked his fucking wings out.
3: I also I also think this is the most uh page time that we've seen Warren get in a long time. This this seems to be the the, the most recent time that I can think of that he's poised to be in the front and center.
2: Yeah, because uh in Hawkspox he pretty much died almost immediately. So he really didn't get yeah. a lot of time there.
0: And you know, we didn't get a whole lot of Monet either. That's... She appeared for a moment in Hox Pox and and then she disappeared as well. So this was kind of a very welcome return home. So, okay, we can talk about these characters forever. So let's talk about the plot of the book for a moment. Somehow, the X-Men only realize at the end that Krakoa operates by mutant gene only. So, theoretically, zombies have a mutant gene. I do wonder if they can feed these zombies to Krokoa. Krakoa needs to eat mutants from time to time. If you were to feed all of these zombies to Krakoa, maybe that's what brings about the sword bearer's return. Maybe that's what causes a Rocco to open up or whatever's about to happen, that we're going to be uniquely in a position. We're about to have 16 million zombie spirits floating around if nothing else now okay to jump back a moment i'm kind of frustrated that this is how wanda got brought into this because i will need her to pay this off and if i don't get wanda wielding the scarlet sword in ten of swords i am going to deploy my spiral missile and she is going to commit you with all the swords
3: you know, from that, I just wanted to hit the, hit the folks at home with a little bit of a non sequitur here. So, of course, we're all seeing the news come out from San Diego Comic-Con at home. New York Comic-Con at home is upcoming as well. And I wanted to take a moment to thank everybody for being socially responsible and understanding for the ever-changing, evolving world that we live in it is such that it is not conducive to host these conventions uh, for some time. And nobody hurts in that way more than the contributors to the industry and your industry professionals. But that said, if I do have any hardcore Cerebro helmet clad Xavier cosplayers just waiting it out, playing the long game, waiting for 2021, I will give you a little gift here. On page 23 of 35 in Digital, we see the back of the Cerebro helmet for the first time. Oh, and
0: it's like perfectly matched that on one side you have the back and the front on the other. So, like, this is actually a pretty great costume guide page if you want, like, proportions. And you get the side
2: yeah.
3: as well. So, and you get the sides. So, again, you know, for for anybody who is really... Who is really jonesing for that cerebro-clad unitard Charles uh, costume. Hopefully you won't have to wait much longer but you know take this time and, uh, and this page is a blessing.
1: I want to talk about the ending of this issue just a little bit because we get an introduction to the botanical brigade ladies who are basically just the golden girls with a slightly more diverse cast with them being raunchy and rude and generally badass. I am actually kind of concerned why they weren't a more priority in figuring out who they are and what they're doing they're able to use the Krakoan gates did nobody of the Kakoan Council have a problem with this? Did nobody think, hey, those women are a threat. Maybe we should do something about that.
0: So I want to intersect with that really hardcore, because that point has been on my mind a lot lately. Between this, giant size, X-Men proper, I feel as though Jonathan Hickman is kind of trying to write a weekly book right now. And what's freaking me out is the book that comes out the least, it would seem, is X-Men. But at the end of the day, it feels like sometimes even New Mutants It's all sort of running together in one big super multi-team narrative. I could have accepted this arc as running right after whatever's going on in X-Men right now. I don't know that it's that these players were deemed unimportant, but with so many plates spinning right now and so many things happening possibly at the same time and possibly not, we're kind of grasping at straws for when what's happening. And the fact that Xavier's just sort of telepathing himself all over is not making it easier to keep track of this everything going on with x of swords and i feel like at all times the x-men are moving toward some major changes there's a number of special one shots coming out that pay tribute to the early days of captain britain and saturnine which leads a lot of people to thinking possibly a captain britain solo title about the Lionheart himself brian braddock might be on its way for my money if i were given a solo title about anybody running around the x-books right now that hasn't necessarily been hinted or announced. Cough, cough, Moira. I think I would be most eager for Krakoan lives. I just want like a solo title that focuses on a rotating member. Sort of that wacky Spider-Man's tangled web approach that very Pete Milligan, Axel Alonso take on real life, real moments. I don't know that I would want a solo book from any one person, but yeah, I guess that's what I'd be looking for. Does anybody here have a solo book? They're just dying to read, whether it's something off the wall like Apocalypse or something much more expected
3: like Gene. You know, this might be expected, and we're going to be continuing our coverage of his ongoing solo title in our next episode, but I would love to have seen a giant-sized Logan. Not a Wolverine book. I specifically want to see a giant-sized Logan. I want to see a slice-of-life book about Logan and his entanglements on Krakoa, romantic, platonic, avuncular, parental figure. I, I just want to get a look at, you know, everybody's everybody's favorite big, rough, softy.
0: Jonah, who would Logan's favorite queen from Drag Race be? Currently or all-time? Oh, well, I mean, if you both have a vote, you know. Because I can tell you, I'm pretty sure his favorite Project Runway competitor ever would definitely be
1: Christian Siriano. And I can explain
0: why. He would be like, Nah, he's got spunk. Reminds me of Jubilee. Just feisty with pointy hair.
1: Bub. So I'm going to do this in terms of all time, Bianca Del Rio, because she is a um, insult comic. And would they bang? No, they would not bang. No, good to know. Good to know.
3: I I feel like I feel like Logan would feel a personal responsibility to keep ben De La Creme safe.
1: Oh, that's another great answer. Yeah, because he would. He'd be like, "That's Kitty. That's, that's Kitty. Kitty. I have to protect her at all costs."
3: I get that I, I also would throw and i hate to give her credit because i don't understand how she's become such a rising star not Bendela. my i love my Bendela. no i would say uh vanessa vanji is the obvious setup thank thank you jonah for knowing already where we were going vanessa vanji is the obvious setup because she's the most jubilee-esque sidekick for wolverine of all time
0: oh side note i'm changing my answer he would have a weird side love affair with patricia
1: and to that end miss fangie so miss fangie
0: (laughs) jonah kyle who would the two of you want to see get a solo book we have a sort of Kurkoa's entanglements and a logan's entanglements what solo title would you two want to see Mm.
1: I would need a giant-sized Xavier. What is Charles doing all day, every day, with his time? We don't really get to see a lot of what Charles is doing outside of specific glimpses. What the fuck is this leader of Kakoa doing? I don't know that I can watch anybody
0: masturbate, eat that much fried chicken, and
3: sleep that frequently. I hope that when he takes the leotard off, he puts the helmet back on. Ah!
1: <laughs> In response to Nico, you haven't seen me on a Thursday night. <laughs>
0: Oh, good God. Uh, So so, that's a vote for (laughs) Slutty Logan. That's a vote for Mundane Charlie. And that's a vote for Basic Folk on Krakoa. So,
2: Kyle, that throws it to you. So... Jean is the predictable one. I want to see her as she works to regain her moral compass because she's had so many issues where she's been struggling with that and seeing her be able to grow back into it it would be a great little bit of growth for her.
0: I do not hate that answer, because I do believe Gene is the best. So, okay, one last question. And I just gotta know, if you had to read a book about a villain, which villain would you pick? I have said it before, and I'll say it again. I want to read a book about Exodus being, like, cheerily upbeat and religiously zealoted and just, like, striking down the infidels, just going about his day. And I think a book that's basically Exodus losing touch with reality, like, zapping babies with lightning that's my kind of book nanny no
1: (laughs) mr sinister only
0: if she's voiced by fran drescher and yes (laughs) mr
1: sinister (laughs) mr sinister but it's just at his bar and i have to see who his patrons are and it's mr sinister also voiced by fran drescher
0: (laughs) (laughs) check out my diamond i don't know
3: why it's ross i gotta go i I, oh my god it was Ross. (laughs) I feel like if we got a sinister book, it would be just him writing his gossip column, but we wouldn't get the gossip column. It would just be 32 pages of him writing the gossip column and saying to himself, Oh, this is good. Oh, this is good. Oh, they're not going to know.
1: Oh, no. I want it to be Dear Diary. Dear Diary, and it's just him <laughs> sucking on Chupa Pops. <laughs> Dear Diary. Today I stole some DNA. Don't ask me how I got it. I'll never tell. Wink, wink. I'll give you a hint it was out of the stomach of a boar. <laughs>
2: I kind of want to see what Madeline was up to prior to her uh, reappearance in Hellions.
0: I would not be mad if Hellions basically turns into a Maddie Pryor solo book. But now I got to know. I got to pry, Maddie. Who do
3: you want to know more about? I literally thought you said Maddie Pryor, and I was like, what was I doing before this? I (laughs) I I don't, I didn't, this isn't my book. So what
0: villain do you want to see run around in their own title?
3: You know, I'm I'm so fortunate to see my, my number one pick would be Apocalypse, but I'm I'm so blessed to have Apocalypse running amok in so many pages of so many books, most notably Excalibur right now. I could only say that I'm curious to know what Sebastian Shaw is doing. I feel like ever since the the original murder of Kitty Pride, there there hasn't been much going on there. But I feel like that's a little bit the the theme of the Dawn of X era, which is to bury your lead by like like, seven issues of back material. So, I mean, we only just got Horticulture again in the most recent Empire X-Men number one after not appearing since X-Men number three. So, sure, let's say Apocalypse and Sebastian Shaw.
0: Okay, I'm gonna challenge that because I love it. I would love to see Apocalypse throughout the years having worked with the Hellfire Club to establish what he has now and Sebastian Shaw pouring through diaries that prove this.
3: Ooh, okay.
0: I'm in. And... Guys, there's one other thing I'm kind of in on. I don't know if anybody else is a really big fan of Damien Hellstrom the way I am, but they finally dropped the Hellstrom trailer. It was a minute and 20 seconds, and not a lot happened. We had some Satana, we had some Hellstrom, and I am very excited for those two things. I feel like that probably didn't get other people excited the same way it got me excited, because from what I saw, it kind of seems like a family-friendly version of Lucifer Light. And as much as I'm excited, and this kept me excited, I don't know that this would have been enough to get anybody else in on the game. Was anybody that saw that minute and 20 seconds like, oh, gotta see more?
2: It looked interesting, but I honestly have no connection to the characters at all. So it would be me going in completely blind. You know,
3: I, I have to agree with Kyle, and not only do I not have much of a knowledge of the character to base my excitement off of, but I'm a little bit disenchanted with the notion of this being a Hulu property. Hulu most notably turning the Marvel's Runaways property into a very cw mess of a program. So I, I'm a little bit worried to start seeing properties, you know, split up from the main.
0: Well, if it Makes you feel any better? All of the other properties in development in this production skew were canceled. The only one that had also been on the docket was a Robbie Reyes ghostwriter, which did not make it past the pilot phase. This will be the last original new Marvel show at Hulu, with everything else supposedly down the line going to Disney Plus.
1: As a character in the comics, Damien is hot and is shirtless most of the time, so you can get me on board with just about that. Well, until we come back to take off our shirts to
0: coax Damien out of his, Kyle, where can everybody find you online?
2: You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantus82. Maddie, where can everybody find you?
3: You can find me resurrecting the entire mutant population of Genosha to collectively call for the arrest of the officers who murdered Brianna Taylor on Instagram at at the basely covetous man. Jonah, where can everybody find you?
1: You can find me in my sixty unskilled hands repairing crackling gates on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? Trash can mutants. <laughs> mutants in <and> cans.
3: <laughs>
0: Trash can mutants.
3: Mutants in cans. Oh no, we just we're doing Backstreet Boys. <laughs> down,
1: down, down,
0: down. Oh, see, down, I thought down, I was down, doing down. Hong Kong fooey.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, you know what? We are larger than life. You guys can find me all over this network on shows like HTML or both of the feeds of this. And don't forget to check me out on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Guys, it is such a joy to come here and play with you guys for an hour. And it is the best part of my week. Guys, until we come back, keep those mutant gates lit. We'll see you. Bye.
1: Bye. Goodbye.
0: You're amazing. You're amazing.